Spring is ending and we're all shedding our jackets. Is it? Oh, yeah. It's t-shirt season. It's you know, interrupt. It's t-shirt season. Hang on. Let me check my groundhog that I brought here. <laughs> oh, he saw his t-shirt. <laughs> t-shirt season's ending. No, oh, no, it's happening. I don't know what time of the year it hey, is. Hey, listen, seasons are hard to tell in California, so I get why you're Seasons confused. of shirts. <laughs> That's what we're here before this episode starts. We just want to let you know that we still have t-shirts available. LA Meekly t-shirts designed by me. According to every comment we get, some of the softest fabric Soft you'll ever hell. feel. We still have small and medium Left. Those are $25 shipping included. Please buy them. Get them out of my closet. There's only so many left. Daniel needs room in his closet. For my groundhogs. Yeah, my all, my groundhog collection, I have which I feed the mice. Yeah. I got a really big snake, <laughs> which also takes up. that He doesn't go in the closet. He's on the bed with me every night. I wish I could get him. I can't get him to do anything. So buy the shirts. We got small and medium, $25 shipping included. You can go on our website to message us or anywhere. Instagram, LA underscore meekly. Twitter at LA meekly. LA.meekly at gmail.com. Find us. Buy it. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Welcome to the 101st episode of Allie Meekly. We're no longer celebrating. We're not allowed. There's no celebration to the 101st. Mm, well, not in the military branch I was in. <laughs> well, we're we're here. Um, we're <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we you are. You know the rest of it. It's May. Wait, is it May? Yeah, it it's is May. May. We're here. What is that? Oh, it's more skateboarders. skateboarders. The swallows of Southern California, swallows. which is also where oh. the swallows go. <laughs> the skateboarders are returning <laughs> to grind on the ruins of Capistrano. <laughs> but we're here. We can finally talk about Will Smith slapping <laughs> Chris Crockett. Can you believe what was it? that about? This <laughs> got, is an Independence Day. Here's the 400 jokes I wrote about <laughs> it. <Yeah. laughs> Welcome to Oscars slap. Uh, that's number one. We recorded our last episode before all that happened. And you pointed out like we kept bringing up the Oscars. Oscars because we're talking about Mary uh, Pickford, Pickford yeah. and we kept bringing him up. People must have like, say it, say it. I know you want it. to, <laughs> unless they were like, they're so heroic for not bringing it up, <laughs> for not throwing their <laughs> open palm in the ring. Saluting us. Yeah. For throwing out. Yeah. We got a Pulitzer for not <laughs> making jokes about Will Smith. And now we have to, to give it back. They come into my closet. And right, my wife keep all those nothing. shirts. Please buy a shirt. <laughs> um, yeah, it's May. We're here. Uh, <laughs> I keep you I fall keep, into I it. I keep trying to like start some sort of slogan that I don't have. <laughs> you have like a quarter of it. We're here. We're here. And That's the it. rest of it. <laughs> what more of a slogan does anybody need than we're here? What more do you need to know? We're so here. Look, please fear. We're here. No fear. <laughs> You'll never get used to us. So look, it's May. We're here. Uh, but before we talk about May. Let's talk about something we did in the last month. Uh, did you do anything interesting? I didn't really, but something it's, uh, I have a, uh, look, I'll just go right now. Go I've right got a now. classic, never fails to please. Although Don't I do say have hoopla a hoopla again. <laughs> Oh, Can geez. we push back the recording by like <laughs> uh, four weeks? <laughs> okay, I do have a complaint about this, but my thing of the month, Thrifty's Ice Cream. Oh, right. We got some I got a very angry text message. Yes, you did. What felt like three in the morning. It might have been like <laughs> 4 p.m. You know that they stopped serving at eight. So <laughs> to, don't exaggerate you on You could me. have been pacing around a parking lot <laughs> for hours. Crafting the perfect thing for seven hours. <laughs> Screaming I, at your took, wife to, to put it. No, say this to him. It took longer for me to craft that than it did to write all of these Will Smith jokes. <laughs> I mean, the wild, wild slap. Um, so, yeah, Thrifty's ice cream. It's it's always good. Like yeah. it, it's never 
bad. Yep. They, that's why I'm saying it's something great. Again, it's getting hot. It's t-shirt season. T-shirt season. It's so good. It is such good ice cream. Sure, the prices have gone up a little bit, which of course I'm upset about, but that's not what I was really upset about. Yeah. It's one thing to raise the prices. It's another thing to shrink the scoop sizes. Whoa. It, that, that, that is a step too far in my... I mean, it's still great. Yeah, there's just less great. It's, there's less great of it. It's 20% less, less great. <laughs> but So my recommendation is just buy the tub. Like get a whole yeah. a whole quart of it. You work for Big Tub. Well, they don't, they don't call me Tubby for nothing. <laughs> they don't call me Tubby Dum Dum for nothing. <laughs> I also work for Dum Dum. But they also sell the scooper, which is fun. So right. you can get the tub yeah. from TubbyDumDums.com <laughs> and you can, and you can scoop your own at home and make the size uh, make the scoop as big as you as, want. And as that's what big I as gravity doing. will will allow. <laughs> as big as your mom will allow. <laughs> what did I get? Because I normally get chocolate malted crunch, but I got oh I got the chocolate chip cookie dough, which Ooh, is great. That's any yeah. concoction with the word dough in it is good, but you'll probably get sick. <laughs> yeah, I have notoriously, as we all talk, I can't have ice But cream. they have the rainbow sherbet. Oh, I can't have rainbow but sherbet. But it might have some dairy in it. I don't know. It might be sherbet. It might not be sherbet. I think it's just like pure dairy. Like I had like, I, we got oat milk. I'm like, oh, cereal. I'm going to have cereal for the first time in years. I'm like, my stomach hurts. My day's ruined. Um, so just anything that reminds your body of yeah. dairy. What's is- this? What's this? Lock What's it all this? down. What's this? <laughs> There's something in my stomach. <laughs> I went to a comedy show which I'll the whole pandemic I'm like can't wait to go back to comedy now like my introvertedness has <laughs> reformed completely to like what it was like in middle school and I don't go anywhere but I went to a comedy show that's why show. you keep wearing Spitfire shirts <laughs> my cousin was on her first comedy show at the Glendale room so I went over there what's which, the Glendale room the Glendale room is a little new venue in Glendale on Artsock Avenue uh, which is between like I think they didn't invite me yet so I don't really know you don't do it uh, is it, does it food? Do they have Thrifty's Do ice they cream? they food there? It's a great little venue and they're having tons of comedy shows. You should check them out. They have, uh, it's really neat designed. It's like a dark room, obviously. And it's like lined with books. Like so the, that's like the background? Or, yeah, the background. Oh. No, well, not oh. the background of that. There's a big curtain, but the walls oh. and everything is just like books. It's like very the, loungy. The bookcases are, are lined with bricks. It looks like uh, the kind of place where like uh, gay poetry would have thrived in the 40s. That's what it looks like. Gay poetry? Well, just like poetry in general, but I mentioned the gay scene was a lot cooler. Wow, I didn't know that. Uh, Greg came here to get canceled by uh, by promoting gay poetry in the forties, <laughs> a la Allen Ginsberg and all the other beatniks, basically. But yeah, no, it's a great little venue, and I had a great time. How many people are in this tiny room? I'm imagining. Uh, I think I. Would, <laughs> well, it's comedy, so I imagine not many people are there to watch. In my experience, people, yeah. I think maybe like fifteen to twenty people were in there. Mm. I don't know. There's flashes of like I'll be dry, like the the. It's almost like earthquake weather. There's like stand yeah, yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. like open mic weather for yeah. me, and I'll feel it one night and be. Like I, I, I should be in it. I, yeah, yeah, I got it. I, I don't remember my joke about the thrifties ice cream <laughs> scoop, which is not far off. But yeah, it'll hit me every once in a while, and then I'll think like, why? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it went so great before. I drove from Northridge to Glendale on the streets, and I just like it. I did not do it on purpose, but I like I passed maybe six places where <laughs> we would do open mics, and just thinking like, man. Oh, man. I bombed here. I, I gotta go here. smell some cigarettes on a bunch of people <laughs> while I wait around for two hours. It's almost like I always think about like uh, people saying like, if I knew then what I knew now. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. think about that sometimes of like, because I haven't played hockey in like right. 15 years or yeah. something. And I think like, I know the game so much better yeah. now. If I went on the ice now, I would be Gordy. <laughs> and then I like, no, I would be destroyed by an old Russian man immediately. Yep. And the same with stand up comedy. Like, I don't know how to do it any some better than I, 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 I worse would eviscerate. <laughs> 
me. He would go up right after me, like, what was up with that guy? And then people were like, get on the show. Yeah. He's just dancing nah. the whole time. <laughs> I've never seen someone flip flop like that in my whole life. But yeah, that, uh, that's my thing of the month. Also, no more comedy ever again. <laughs> we have a listener question at the that's end. Right. Let's explain what this 101st episode is going to be about. We're breaking up a new century. You want to bet right now? We got to put your money on first. Let me see how much cash you have in your pocket. Uh, let's see. I've got, um, let's see. I've got a broken knee from my, <laughs> uh, my debt, my debtor. Is that what they're called? De- not debitor. Debitor? The guy who breaks your knee because you don't pay him for your gambling woes. Oh, Roscoe. Oh, that's what the sh- <laughs> Yeah. I call him Roscoe. Um, <laughs> it's a name. But uh, we're going to be talking about gambling. That's right. Some aspects of gambling. We're not going to cover the entire history of gambling in Los Angeles. Well. Well, actually, I messed up again. Actually, Greg. <laughs> faded. <laughs> One thing fascinated me, which was Gardena. Right. Um, so we'll, I'll be getting to that later. And then the thing you you talk about. Which is something we talk, we, I'm sort of revisiting. On it. It's very Raymond Chandler. It is incredibly Raymond Chandler. And I like when I read that in Raymond Chandler books of like I I wrote out to yeah. the to the gambling boats. I'm like, wow, what fiction? <laughs> what fine fiction? But they, hey, they were real. They were real, and uh, they were a real problem for nobody. Um, Before you take us to the high seas, right. or just like you know, five miles off the coast, right? It was three. Yeah, I am going to tell you about the early gambling okay, in yeah, Los please. Angeles. So here we go, Greg. I'm Hit ready. me, craps. I fold, and these aren't just things I shout at myself in the mirror anymore. <laughs> they are also gambling slogans. They your, sure let is. me hear your favorite gambling slogan. Do you gamble? No, not really. Uh-huh. Once a year we go to Vegas right, for my I send cousins. The police. I send the vice squad away. We go to Vegas once a year for my cousin's birthday and I'll sit next to him as he gambles and he'll put money in front of me and then gambling will happen but it's not like I'm like a great orchestrator of like, <laughs> no, hold that one and give me that uh, and uh, I'll, have, I'll right. take 50, $55 right. on he's, uh, he's not a great orchestrator. I'll stop this recording for the <laughs> FBI. You know me. I bet on the horses. The, you ponies, bet on the, horses. the ponies is where I make my Your money. Your first gambling was done at a horse race at Hollywood Park. Before an X concert. Before an X played and you won and you were flashing $2 in our face for the whole show. Before I got mugged on the way to the bathroom. Yeah, I never, like, I never, my friend in high school, which is, a lot of this is probably illegal, he used to have a gamble, a poker game on his birthday and oh, it was cool. like, there was Halo yeah. and there was poker and I loved it and I did not know how to play poker but I was I would always somehow make it to like the big table because there was like the table they'd be like yeah Daniel's going on that table because that's the table that no one good plays on yeah and i'd always somehow make it to the big table by the end and uh-huh. lose immediately yeah, but yeah. i i i but don't i don't play to win i just play to have a good time when you're as loaded as me you, <laughs> you just it's it's for the thrill of the game when i was a young my aunt had a handheld poker like a texas hold'em game that i would play video poker video poker they kind of do everything for you yeah they do everything for you include uh, they cheat for you too um <laughs> i saw at a very early age my tendency to be like olin let's do it I know. And like, there's no money involved not in just, that. Like not even on the game, you were somehow betting like your grandpa's watch. There was on knocks the, on the door. <laughs> Mario's at the yeah. door. <laughs> it's a me, Mario. <laughs> so, okay, let's get back to the history Please, yes. here. As any good sleazy old West town does, Los Angeles has had a long, proud relationship with the gambling, Greg. That's very true. It was one of the arms of vice that ran this... Uh, city it, for a while. It, we're going to get to that right yes. now. <laughs> Most of that being owed to our flap in the panted friends, the gold prospectors. <laughs> they loved gambling. Poker is a fairly old and fairly simple way to lose all your money playing cards. So naturally, it was a favorite game of the gold diggers who came out to California in the 1800s. So it became a very popular card game in California in right. general because the only people who lived here were gold diggers. Yes. Uh, and continues to this day. Um, that is a very cowboy western game. It is. Playing. I, I, like, I imagine... You 
you know, the cards are very worn out. Yeah. There's knives all over the table. And there's case 16 aces for some reason. There's only aces. People are only playing <laughs> they, with well, aces. They knew what it, by the shade of red it was, they knew what. You, so you could play poker and other gambling games like roulette and saloons up and down the state like you'd see in Red Dead Redemption 2. Oh, right. My favorite movie. Yeah, my favorite movie is the cut scenes of Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> and eventually there were actual small casinos that started popping up as right. well. The, these were usually in places where cowboys, prospectors, and Chinese immigrants mingled like in San Francisco right. and our very own Los Angeles. So these were the people you, if you walk into a saloon, a prospector, a cowboy and a Chinese immigrant walk into a saloon and they play poker. That's the end of my story. Everybody. They walk out and none of them get shot. It's just a good example. Welcome to Utopia. But all this fake racial harmony brought together by a shared losing of money. It came to an end in 1879 when California outlawed gambling. That's how long that the ban on gambling has been in California. Pretty much any gambling game that existed at the time was called out by name as now being illegal, except for one thing, draw poker. Why draw poker, the line there? Why draw the line there? This was because the lawmakers considered that to be more of a gentleman's game of skill <laughs> rather than a game of luck. Right. So according to them, when you played draw poker, you could win if you were good enough at it, regardless of the cards. And oh. money wasn't won or lost. It was merely changing hands. You were right. gambling. It really is if just... my name is an Arch A Poker. <laughs> uh-huh. My grandpappy <laughs> uh, dug up poker cards in a mine here in California. Yeah, it, it's really... It, it was all just a loophole because the lawmakers were probably addicted to draw poker or owned a draw poker racket and the legality of it was debated for decades but regardless all gambling was now illegal in california except draw poker so poker continued to flourish in the state now more than ever of course because it's all you could it's the same thing i mean i'll be talking about prohibition a little bit but like as soon as something's outlawed like well that's how we're gonna make money from it (laughs) (laughs) just to imagine the like lawmakers of california like banging like roulette gong blackjack gong zorro Zorro pinball machines. Zorro pinball machines, gone. <laughs> so it was still a weird gray area in the law because it was legal, but it was also kind of illegal to be playing draw poker. Okay. The problem being that money changing hands looks suspiciously like gambling. So a place where a bunch of men are gathered in a cloud of cigarette smoke to lose a bunch of money is going to look kind of weird in a state where gambling is illegal. But the places where draw poker was being played were not casinos. They were card rooms and those were basically legal. This was because as opposed to a casino where the player are betting against a dealer and a percentage of the winnings goes to the house in a card room the players are betting against each other Okay. Like there is no dealer. All the players sit at a table and you take turns being the dealer and you're exchanging money with each other. Right. The only money the house gets is a fee from each player to sit at the table, either as like a flat fee or a per hour that oh, you're gambling okay. there. You're basically renting the chair in their establishment to gamble against other derelicts like you. Right, right, right. That's what a card room okay. is. Okay, I guess the, thank you for clearing that up because I was very confused. <laughs> thank you for clearing that up. I can now use that in court. <laughs> there were many places like these that popped up around here in the late 1800s, early 1900s, but the Legal ones were outside of LA city limits because LA made even those illegal very early on. Right. But that didn't mean there wasn't still plenty of illegal card rooms within the city limits of Los Angeles, which were allowed to stay open because they were constantly paying off cops and the people in City Hall to stay open. This this is this is uh, the cardinal sin of Los Angeles. <laughs> like this is where all the corruption sort right. of stemmed from. Naturally, all of the corruption of this era was being funded by illegal gambling kingpins that ruled the underworld of LA. These were guys like Zeke Karras, who ran gambling out of a place at 326 South Spring. Street, which is now the Ronald Reagan building. (laughs) 
suspicious. <laughs> he ran a gambling ring of his own. Am I right? The White House. <laughs> Camp David. <laughs> Ever heard of it? <laughs> Have you heard of uh, jelly beans? That was code for gambling. Gambling tokens. <laughs> Tudor Shearer, who okay. ran a casino out of the Western Athletic Club at 534 and a half South Spring Street. Tony Cornero, who you're going to be talking about. Guy McAfee. Eddie. Gun ex-cop. I'm not surprising. Uh, Eddie Nealis, Chuck mm. Addison, Ross Page, Johnny Rosselli, Jack Dragna. But the one man in particular who seemed to have emerged as the card room king of Los Angeles was Milton. I almost, for some reason, I saw his name and I thought, time to call out Milton Burrow. <laughs> Milton Bernard Page. Okay. The biggest gambling <laughs> ring in town. Is that a Derringer under the table? No, it's Milton Burrow. So Milton Bernard Page was born in 1887 right here in LA. He went to school one day as a kid wearing a farmer's hat. So the other kids called him Farmer and the nickname stuck for the rest of his life. So Painful. this guy, you'll see his name as Farmer Page all the time. Uh, father of Farmer John. <laughs> <laughs> the first name is the family name. It's weird. They're Swedish. Um, so Farmer Page worked as a newsie at Spring as Second in the early 1900s, where he was arrested multiple times for gambling. By mm-hmm. 1910, he worked at Eddie Hook Stratton's Cigar Store at 631 South Spring Street, right behind Clifton's, out of which he ran horse race betting, horse racing bets, wherever you pluralize and uh, I-N-G-I-S those words. Um, so that's where you would find me back then. Just like a sweaty collar. Put it all against Seabiscuit. <laughs> you can only breed a loser with a name like that. Trust me, Toby Maguire is going to star in a movie about this horse that I'm betting on now, <laughs> Mr. Bubblegum. Anyway, he was running horse racing bets out right. of this place for which he was arrested. Then he started running a speakeasy at 223 East 3rd Street, which also had gambling for which he was arrested. Right. Into the 20s, he started running a place at 120 West 3rd, right near the Bradbury. This place that's near there was the illegal gambling hub of Los Angeles. What really made him though was that he got involved with Charles Crawford's the Wolf, the whole St- Spring Street gang. So now all of his illegal activity was being covered up and protected by the LAPD and City Hall in exchange for his dirty money. The corruption, the that, buck starts that, here. I was <laughs> I was wondering because he were oh he kept getting arrested. I'm like, well, he's not paying someone then. <laughs> this was before he got he met the right right. Now yeah. he's with before Charles. Before he met the wrong guy. Yeah, yeah. Now he's well, not just with Charles Crawford. The money he was taking in, that protection he was receiving, allowed him to eventually open up some eight or nine clubs around the city where illegal gambling was happening. There was one on Lancashire. He was involved with the Clover Club on the Sunset Strip that we talked about. Really famous, the, yeah. The Continental Club, which was in Glendale, which we also talked about in the Sunset Strip episode. He was referred to, Farmer Page, he was referred to as the gambling czar of oh, Los God. Angeles and also the king of Spring Street's Monte Carlo. And he ran his whole empire out of an office in the Lowe's State Building at 703 Broadway, where the former State Theater now is. Oh, I think. wow. Okay. Yeah, I think it's now a church. <laughs> All this with full protection from the city. And with money and connections to the government yeah. comes power. So Farmer Page also had a strong political influence on the city behind the scenes to get what he wanted. Basically, he was running the city. I, we should probably clear up. I don't know when we brought it up either in Alley Not So Confidential or on Alley Taco, but we, it would be like the gambling and brothels would generate all the money that would be fed into political campaigns for people who would protect who, the cops yeah. it was, who were doing shakedown pay all the people up top. In both of my stories, you like you see so clearly the trail of corruption of yeah. like, oh, it came from this poker game. Yeah. This illegal slot machine funded a John Cryer. Uh, John Cryer. Not John Cryer. 
It is John Cryer. Ducky? Are you saying Ducky is tied up with the mob? You don't even know half of it. Wake up. You don't even know two and a half <laughs> men of it. George Cryer. No, George Cryer was the... Now I'm getting all my awful mayors of the 30s confused. Uh, one of them was in the KKK and one of them ran the City Hall gang. One of them was a puppet mayor. And one of them is a millionaire. <laughs> it was no secret who Farmer Page was amongst the general public, though, and moral groups and reformers tried everything they could to get rid of this man, but he did not care because he was bulletproof in the city. City yeah. Hall was was not going to raise a finger to put the man funding their, let's just say, hobbies behind <laughs> bars. Like, they're not going to stop yeah. this. Even the few times some N00Bs who weren't hip to the game got themselves into a position of power somehow in the city to investigate Farmer Page, it never worked out because he was just too well-connected. Right. One time, the city council called for an investigation into one of his alleged gambling dens, but guess who was put in charge of the investigation? Jim Two-Gun Davis, <laughs> <laughs> who found nothing wrong at all. Nope. You're the guy that signs my checks? Okay, no, you're, this is fine. This is a fine establishment. Thank you. <laughs> in 1927, one of the city council members was again pushing for an investigation of one of Page's places. But two days later, that same councilman was accused of sexually assaulting a woman who later admitted she was paid to say that by some of Crawford's men. So they would just, any yeah. attempt was going mm -hmm. to be smeared. They were the bus at the end of the gauntlet. Yeah. In 1937, he was named by an LA County vice investigation as one of the eight captains of the Los Angeles underworld. But no, no harm ever befell him as he lived out his life running gambling places up in Nevada because gambling started to change in LA. Now, right. didn't it? It Greg. did. Let's hear about what you have to say that was happening off the coast at the time. We'll, we'll get to that. But first, we're going to sum up the guy who was pretty much running the ships off the coast. That is Anthony the Hat Cornero. They call him the hat because he would wear a lot of Stetson hats. And he was I, known I for mentioned it. him. I mentioned him better, though. No, I mentioned him. He, he just, was known as the hat because he would wear these Stetson hats. And they were in my head. I'm like, oh, hick. And then I saw I'm like, Oh no, this is a good look. This works for him. This works for him. This is actually, a, a, it's a defining feature and it makes him like a Dick Tracy villain. There's the forehead, there's the hat. It distracted from his giant teeth. <laughs> so I'm here to talk about some of the gambling ships running off the coast of Southern California from the late 20s until the late 30s. And they were off the coast of our general area, anywhere between Seal Beach to Santa Monica. They all operated out at International Waters, which is from what I read in 1928 is began- Amusement park? What, International Waters? Yeah. yeah. It's like Raging Waters, <laughs> but there literally is no enforcement of any of the it's like Hurricane Harbor, but you can make a lot of money if you know the right people. So in 1928, International Waters began basically three miles off the coastline, which later gets debated. I was trying to understand like current International Waters laws, and I think it now extends to like over 200 miles, or at least that's what's considered high seas. It actually might be 24 miles from the baseline. It might be like where International Waters starts, but it's not certainly not three miles off the coast like it was in 1928. So it's it's changed since then. Like If I read correctly, be? yeah, it's changed. Okay. They're like different markers for like, oh, this the is, state still allows to get you yeah, if you're this, this close. 12 we're miles we're in coast. federal waters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here we go again. The 1920s montage. Cue the Charleston as old Lindbergh flew nonstop from New York to Paris, defending Adolf Hitler the entire way. The Tommy gun sails were through the roof and into a hot air balloon over the First National Bank as Pretty Boy Floyd floated away with what is today $75 million. Flappers worldwide got their stomach pump on a regular basis. In Los Angeles, our city, as we bring up all the freaking time now, 1920s Los Angeles, population doubles as we became a major metropolitan city with a booming movie industry and Orange Grove labels in the air and whatever else we mentioned in every episode. Organized crime, like Daniel was saying, and corruption was the bee's knees. And one of the many insidious limbs of organized crime was, like we mentioned, gambling. Gambling and one of the other arms was booze running, as we mentioned in our Prohibition episode, Candy is Dandy, but Liquor is 
click here. I, I think about that all the time. <laughs> I, I think, wow, I really nailed it that time. Uh, I was talking to my cousin about our episode titles. Her husband was struggling to say my favorite title. And I like I said it with so much enthusiasm. A Tale of Two CDs. Yeah, but the, the best it'll ever be. Yeah, but it's no. Well, look, I was thinking we should start posting like all of the reject titles I submit to you, <laughs> you because remember. I think Mary Had a Little Fan would have been a great episode title. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So what? <laughs> Does anything we say make sense? So Tony Cornero was born Anthony Strala in the Piedmont region of Italy, which is near the French border. Oh, so this is a real Italian. This is a real Italian. This is a paisan, Greg. This is a real pasta ghoul you got talking. It's <laughs> <laughs> a real fiend for marinara, isn't it? <laughs> he was born in August of 1889, and the Strala family came to the U.S. in 1904, settling in the Los Gatos area of Santa Clara County. He joined the Navy, but at the dawn of the 20s when Prohibition was implemented, he switched sides and used his naval knowledge to funnel booze into the United States from Canada. Okay, that's very interesting. Yeah. So he used his knowledge of international waters to to yeah. manipulate the country that welcomed him in. <laughs> <laughs> and this goes further to my point. <laughs> Just another piece of evidence. <laughs> from one article I read, he was a full-fledged rum pirate, like hijacking <laughs> boats and soon building a fleet of ships to run rum and other liquors to the, the shores of LA. Uh, and there's even a map at some point of all the places in like Santa Barbara and Malibu and like Redondo Beach and Seal Beach and just San like Diego. Shipping in rum. He would just like bring wow. alcohol in. By 1923, he was the king Yo of bootleg. <laughs> By 1923, he was the Back king. Back to Will Smith. Why do you wait for me to talk? <laughs> <laughs> My mind, uh, sometimes it's a little not so sharp. And it takes me It takes me having to hear you speak before I pay What's, uh, That's an annoying sound. I should say something over that. Sometimes you stir the cauldron and sometimes you taste. Is it <laughs> ready? Sometimes you let it simmer. <laughs> By 1923, he was the king of bootleggers, smuggling in thousands of cases of illegal alcohol into California. It's going great, right? And it's going to go great forever. In May of 1924, old Tony gets it's an order of liquor to be delivered at 150 South Hobart Avenue in Koreatown. Wouldn't you believe it? It was a sting. Could you believe it? In this day and age, 1924, <laughs> at the height the, the, of Prohibition. The, the, when the movie The Sting took place. <laughs> Tony Carnero opened fire and the cops fired back. He wounded a cop. Wait, for, wait, wait. So this was in Koreatown? Koreatown. How did his boat get there? And that's only a partly joking question. It wasn't like, always boats. Like sometimes he would, like he was probably living in Los Angeles at the time. So it wasn't like, it uh, wasn't escape like escape from LA where there's a, exactly. He didn't surf into <laughs> Koreatown. No, he probably like was running liquor up to the shore okay. and then was like, okay, well now I got to get to the it. boat. Yeah. Back to the boat. Back to the boat. <laughs> they can't touch us in international waters three feet off the shore. <laughs> Anyways, he shows up got like a giant 10 gallon hat on, which he filled with alcohol. It kept him afloat the whole time. So he shoots cops shoot back he shoots a cop and wounds him he himself gets shot in the arm and the leg and is arrested but because it's the 20s assault with a deadly weapon charge was dropped down from $25,000 to $5,000 and he was soon back on the street the cop was sort of like it was just a misunderstanding because he was probably paid by somebody uh, he was arrested again in 1925 after the feds scooped up a large liquor load from him but couldn't keep him for long well the the guy I was talking about Farmer Page because Tony Cornero kept kind of yeah, coming yeah, yeah. up in that and I didn't I was like Greg will hands off Greg will get Get Tony Cornero's name out of your mouth, Greg will say to me. I, I think they were enemies. Like, I think they yeah. even had a few, not, not personally, but they, like their people had a few shootouts between Farmer Page. There was and, an all-out liquor war, basically, yeah. between Farmer Page. <laughs> your favorite kind of war. I benefit. No matter who wins, I win. <laughs> Prices are dropping, you say. <laughs> yeah, it was it was all-out war between, yeah, Farmer Page, Tony Cornero, and I think there was another guy whose name I don't remember, but people were getting killed. There was eventually a, a gunning down of a liquor hijacker, Walter Heskeith, a 
alias Eddie Egan, which Tony may or may not have done. Uh, it was four more years of being rousted by, you know, cops just trying to make a name for himself and going to war with different outfits and, you know, laying low before the October of 1929 when Tony Cornero turned himself into S.H. Hammer of the Special Intelligence Unit of the IRS. Did like Why? The, I think that, oh, because back taxes and everything, which is how they, they got he turned all, himself. So oh, I think he, we'll get he to got it. Truman, not Truman Capote, he's Al Capone. He got Al Capone, yeah. <laughs> he wrote in Cold Blood. He's a little kid from uh, <laughs> To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, golly. <laughs> no, he was more like, more like he, he had like a, a seersucker suit and like yeah. a, well, I never. Well, he was a little bit Aunt B. <laughs> Somewhere between Gomer Pyle and Aunt B. <laughs> he turned himself in because he was, he said like, I wanted to start a fresh life without having to lay low from the feds like he had been okay. for five years. And but like, his fresh life was going to still be illegal. We'll get to that. Or was that not the idea? I mean, like a time? lot of, I think a lot of gangsters of this era, even going all the way to like Mickey Cohen were like, I'm starting fresh and <laughs> you know, I might do a couple of years in the clink, but you know what? I'm out and I'm going to start a, you know, flower <laughs> shop. And then the feds are like, how are you going to I'm going to start a flower flowers. shop, wink, wink. <laughs> so he was sentenced to two years at McNeil Island. Supposedly, uh, during all of this, he bought a steamership in Hamburg, Germany and carried off a cargo of a million bottles of booze, which was seized in New that Orleans. That song is going to go on forever. <laughs> <laughs> but I read that I was all, while I was reading that part. I was like, what? <laughs> Anyways, McNeil Island, Tony Canero's stint in the clink would be brief. But mm. in the meantime, something else is happening just off the shore of LA. The first of these gambling ships appears in 1928 and was named the Joanna Smith, which <laughs> is a steam schooner built during the First World War and was a lumber ship until it was sold to Albert Howard, who converted it to a palatial gambling ship. It's not really clear at what point it hits them that like, we're on the coast. If you go three miles that way, they can't do anything. <laughs> and like, I guess we could, can we put my house on the wa water? And then I'm sure it took them a while before we're like, I'll just buy a ship. How big were, like, from what you're describing, it sounds like one of those giant things that are like pulling into the port of San Pedro. But I, in my head, I always imagined it just like a big yacht. It, it seems like a smaller yacht. Uh, like I've seen pictures. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I can't tell really. Cause like the, it's like the horizon. It's, is what you have to like measure it again, yeah, like scale right. again. So I'm like, I don't it know looks how really small is it. Are we talking like Putin's yacht or are we talking like, I keep forgetting the guy from a uh, sex Island, whatever. Uh, God, we bring him up in like every episode. What is that guy? The guy who died, who, who died. died. <laughs> <laughs> no, he really died. It's sure. quotations if he killed himself. He died. What was his name? Um, oh my God. What does it uh, matter? Giselle. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein. Jesus. So are we talking Putin yacht or Jeffrey Epstein? I got a nosebleed coming up with that name. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to say uh, maybe a Putin Putin level. Oh, that's ship. pretty big. I maybe I don't know how big Putin says. <laughs> I thought that Jeffrey Epstein was richer than Putin. You thought Jeffrey <laughs> <laughs> He has an island, doesn't Greg. he? Nobody's richer than Putin. <laughs> Does the leader of Russia have a big yacht? He doesn't have an island? <laughs> Is the Pope Catholic? <laughs> Who has a bigger yacht, the Pope or Putin? <laughs> Joanna Smith operated 14 miles out to sea from Long Beach and seven miles from Seal Beach. Joanna Smith was a luxurious, like I said, steam schooner and reportedly had gambling halls, a dance floor, and a dining saloon. The gambling equipment was thanks to a man named Ed Turner who purchased it in Tijuana and included one roulette table, three craps tables, three blackjack tables, and two chuck-a-luck tables? <laughs> which I cannot figure out what that is. That's where the clowns would perform. <laughs> and 23 slot machines that varied between a nickel and a dollar. On the Joanna Smith, silver dollars were used as chips Ooh. and chips were called fries. Really? No, stupid. <laughs> oh, I get it. You're being continental. <laughs> I screamed that joke to Ada while she was busy and she's like, 
huh, that is something you would say. Well, because right. you distracted me because we're talking about the ocean. You said dollars, and I was thinking sand dollars, and I was like, uh, I, don't know sand I got a sand dollar joke. Oh, you know what? What's that? What about fries? I forgot <laughs> that it's a joke about food, so I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have thrown that. <laughs> we don't joke about that. Not on this show. <laughs> Anyways, it seems like the Joanna Smith only operated a week in 1928. I don't know if I like I, from what I can tell before they were like the authorities boarded it. Very interesting reading about how they would do this because it was legal. Authorities boarded it, which is legal on international waters where there is no such thing as legal or illegal. Like, of course, we yeah, can get on your yeah. boat and raid it and throw all the stuff in the ocean. It's, a, oh, it's, yeah. it's legal to do we're this. We're not cops anymore. Yeah. We're, just, we're just like you. We're just like you. And if you're going to shoot me in cold blood, who knows how that's going <laughs> to turn out. Not if I get you first. A huge problem was the very legal taxi boats that would take people out to the Joanna Smith. There's no legal means at the time to prevent the taxi boats who had permits from doing that. And Albert Howard, who ran the ship, also had the legal means to stop any law enforcement officers from stopping him. Apparently, outside three miles, it was safe for gambling ships, but not for rum runners who had a 12-mile area to avoid if I read correctly like if you wanted to run a gambling ship you could do that so within it was more illegal to, to run be, liquor to have alcohol because that's a federal crime as opposed to a state crime we you need to draw like like they, those topography things with the squiggly with lines, the squiggly lines like yeah. how, Just how tell far me where do, I how, could, I'm gonna give you a list of crimes I want to commit <laughs> and you tell me how far out I have to go for each one it's like the middle of the arctic if you want to do that you gotta go here okay okay all right what is the boat from the thing <laughs> so nothing was done to Joanna Smith. They they got boarded. They I think they tried to arrest him, but like they made a like. Who's Joanna Smith, by the way? Oh, I have no idea who they named it after. It's a ship, but I don't know who they named it after. I bet like. Oh, that makes sense. Now. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh ship. Also appearing in 1928 was a Monte Carlo Monfalcone, which was a five-masted barge or a windjammer purchased by gangster Jack Dragna, a J.W. Burns, and some other wise guy types, and converted into a pleasure barge. So Jabba, this was Jabba's. It's place. Jabba's place. <laughs> he doesn't take it out every time, but when he wants to kill a couple of people he's gonna everyone on the pleasure bar was like the international sea dunes international desert the, of Tatooine. it's it's the water world version the uh, dry water world of the return of the jedi <laughs> yeah. yeah oh yeah uh, we're in reality you're right this is this the is that's version. right that's right there's no sarlacc pit there is a cthulhu monster <laughs> and this is reality you're right, you're right. <laughs> we are being real right now this was found in a non-fiction book <laughs> so they ran it off the coast uh six months off the coast of san pedro i found this one page called the california wreck divers page. I don't know where they found this quote, but the Malfalcone was described as gaudily painted to sides and had interior transformed into a cafe and casino that equals the best Mexican resorts. Uh, there was a huge covered dancing pavilion and was added above their main deck and gambling tables were all set up, all at the cost of $58,000. Uh, pretty nice. It does sound pretty <laughs> nice. And the name is great, the Monte Carlo Malfalcone. So it's such it's a, a lot. There's like uh, two different references, I feel like, going on in there. It was towed numerous times by the Coast Guard into San Pedro as laws were inching closer to banning gambling ships and were in the meantime finding any ways to obstruct their operations. So the Coast Guard deemed the Malfalcone as a hazard to navigation and used that as a basis to continually tow it in and break up any kind of illegal things they were doing on there. Although it was legal where they were. I'm on the sides of the ships, really. They weren't hurting anybody except for all the people they hurt, except for all the lives they destroyed. Yeah, except for all that money they were uh, forcibly taking from people who weren't losing. In 1929, the Feds made they finally made it illegal for taxi boats to take passengers out to gambling ships. Okay. To get around this, the Malfalcone was right. aided Never by- Never illegal to swim. If you can make it three miles out here, you're welcome to gamble and we'll give you one free gambling chip. <laughs> one free show from Paul Anka. <laughs> To get around that, the Malfalcone was aided by another ship, the Centennial, which was not a taxi boat, and for a price would take passengers out to the Malfalcone. Another ship would take you out. We're not a taxi boat. We're a regular ship. So it's kind of like the draw poker thing of like, this isn't yeah. gambling. This, this is, is a 
gentleman's uh, yeah. cruise. <laughs> oh yeah, we 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 like to take people out just a couple miles offshore. And no, I don't know these people, but they pay me a fee. <laughs> I take them to another boat. Yeah, where uh, they gamble. <laughs> <laughs> also, making it hard for the Nalfalconi was the other gambling ships in the area that didn't like their business messed with. In 1930, the crew from the Joanna Smith hijacked the Malfalcone. Now, Johnny Law and Johnny Crime wouldn't have to worry about the Malfalcone too much longer as in August of 1930, a broken gas line caught fire and ignited the ship with 300 passengers aboard. Oh, God. They were all taken off safely, but Malfalcone burned all night. The Joanna Smith burned... <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah, you goddamn right it did. Uh, the Joanna Smith burned down in 1932. Fire purifies all. Also, so the wreck is probably... I mean, That's probably. why it's on the, the webpage for wrecked ships off of California. Oh, okay. Because that's how I found information. I thought somewhere. that was like some sort of recording studio or something. So there, there is ships at the bottom of huh. the California... When the sea levels rise, I'm sure this debris will come washing <laughs> straight into my house. So I can check this Or out. when they drop, we'll also be able to we walk go, to I it. will walk to the wreck Either of the, way, yeah. <laughs> Either way, there's a roulette table with my name on it. <laughs> uh, there's also a mention of a, a gambling ship named the City of Panama, later the City of Hollywood, which was the scene. I, I didn't find much about it other than this. The scene of an impromptu show, in quotes, by a frisky patron that, while amusing, drew customers from the gambling tables and attracted the attention of bouncers. The patron was found beaten to death. Oh. I have no this further information. Where, okay, I was th- I was expecting this to be one of those stories of, like, that patron, Charles Chaplin. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting expecting the little tramp to be beaten An to appropriately death. aged Charles Chaplin. <laughs> I wanted to know what the impromptu show was. I wanted to know, while amusing, he's dead and I couldn't find his name so I couldn't look him up. What was his act? <laughs> I want to know what was his act. Something else happened in 1930 though. Tony Cornero was released from prison, a Uh-oh. free and reformed man who wanted yeah. nothing to do with crime or vice or gambling, see, or girls or money <laughs> he or emerged boats. or boats <laughs> or the uh, open ocean fishing whenever you want <laughs> calamari just at arm's reach away <laughs> under the sea <laughs> this is when we start singing on the surface of the sea <laughs> <laughs> you'll be playing roulette i like <laughs> you'll lose your money I'm going to let you just work it out. Hang on. Let me call the, what are those two guys that wrote all those, the brothers that wrote all those songs? Simon and Schulzer. I have no idea. (laughs) Barnes and Noble. (laughs) Ruby and Tuesday. There's no end in there. He emerged and could already tell that prohibition was on its last limb. And instead of trying to continue bootlegging, he thought maybe a gambling ship was his ticket, which was partially legal on the open seats, could prove to be profitable. Out of jail, he invested some of his bootlegging riches towards the new prospect out in the Nevada desert in the city of Las Vegas, where plenty of LA mob figures such as Billy Wilkerson had a hand in developing a new playground for gambling that was mm-hmm. Las Vegas. Cornero even opened up a casino in the 30s, Las Vegas's The Meadows, but it didn't last long. He returned to Los Angeles, back to the harbor of Long Beach, and started considering gambling ships a year before his competition mysteriously caught fire. Mm. The Johannesburg and the Malfalcone. Canero began operating his own fleet of these ships, including the Tango, but his crown jewel was... Well, it takes two to have... He had, he had a sister ship. The other one was Cash. Um, oh, those are the people who wrote Under the Sea. The Tango, Tango and Cash. Cash. Yeah. Oh, no, it was Starsky and Hutt. <laughs> but his crown jewel was a vessel he bought in the 1930-ish year and refurbished for $250,000 named the Rex. The Rex was the Bellagio. Like R-E-X? R-E-X. Okay. The Bellagio of the sea. Mm. And for the rest of the of history, when talking about gambling ships off the coast of Los Angeles, the Rex is always the one that first comes up. Sometimes the only one. Well, it's the king. And it's run by the king of bootlegging. So, of course, it's going to be popular. <laughs> and he has nice hats and be nice to 
Sammy's kind of handsome. <laughs> the Hat and the Rex. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. That's a Raymond Chandler novel. <laughs> I forget, was it Hollis Black asked us who we thought the most handsome man in right. LA history was. And like now every once in a while we'll do a name episode. I'm like, I got one more. <laughs> who did I say? I know I, I you said um, Tiburcio Vasquez, who I, I think is very unattractive. Yeah. Who and did I say? Charles, uh, who did you say? Colin Farrell? It's always Colin Farrell. <laughs> if you remember, dear listener, who <laughs> what man from history I'm attracted to, please uh, write us um, and send pictures. As many as you can find on the internet. The wrecks operate off the shore from Redondo Beach to Santa Monica. And by this time, it was deemed unconstitutional prohibit passage from water taxis to gambling ships. So customers would wait at the Santa Monica Pier at a big X to be picked up and sent out to the wrecks. They what were, a, like, it sounds squid gamey. Like, yeah, like yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. idea of being taken out of a place where things are legal and there are laws. To go to a place where things, and just like the, like being picked up in a van to be taken to someplace yeah. where bad things or illegal things are going to happen is so scary. But now that it's on the water and I'm yeah. presuming happening at night, that's so scary to yeah, me. Yeah, it's very scary. I, the more I think about it, the, I'm like, just think about like floating. I, I've, yeah. I haven't been on a boat before, but like uh, everyone has guns. What do you mean? You've never been on a boat? Never that far out. Or never, never to international never waters. Never to international waters. I've like, <laughs> sl- like I've been like arms reach away from the coast. So a swimming distance away from the coast. <laughs> the boat I was pedaling was shaped like a duck and I was in Echo Park Lake. Yes, but. So I've been on, I know a little bit about pirate, <laughs> ah, the pirate radio. And yeah. <laughs> there were expert chefs on board serving fine food to what would grow to be a thousand customers daily, eventually growing to near its last days, 3,000 people a day. I, I dare say this is bigger than Putin's yacht. It sounds like a, Again. Like what the planes take off from in the military. It's not that big. It sounds big. I see pictures and I'm like, is that big? I can't tell. And then like there's a, a another there's boat. 3,000 people on a boat? Well, like rotating. Rotating. Oh, okay. Because it was open 24 hours. So it rotated too? It's like a lazy Susan. Oh, so it, was, it wasn't just at night. No, no. People it was were going there at all like day, 10 in yeah. the morning. 10 in the morning, yeah. <laughs> the, the poor soul is going at 10 in the morning. The wealthy elite and the Hollywood crowd. Oh, so there were celebrities going. Yeah. There. I couldn't get any names though. It was really weird. Of course. Uh, so we'll just make it up. Mary Pickford. Um, the wealthy elite and the <laughs> Charlie Chaplin did a routine. <laughs> like I said, rich people attended the Rex for a good time. Some gamers would bet as much as $400,000 a day on his ship. Cornero also welcomed quote unquote squirrels aboard. You know what squirrels are? Uh, I'm reading the Witcher book, so it means something <laughs> else, but uh, no. In, it's so funny in that i In reality, been, no. Oh, uh, middle class common folk. Uh-huh. Uh, this uh-huh. was his true bread and butter what, was middle class people. Squirrels. He offered rich and middle rich people a chance to win at roulette, pharaoh, blackjack, stud poker, high spade, craps, chuckaluck, and Chinese lottery. Uh, before Chinese we, lottery. <laughs> they're not going to probably write regular lottery. He installed 150 machines, a horse parlor, and a bingo layout seating for 400. Before I can Continue. It's so funny that you read books about people who hunt witches and I read books that are super pro-witch. He's not hunting witches. He's hunting monsters. All right, fine. Witches are his friend, Greg. You don't know anything about the I witcher, don't know do anything. You? Why is it called the witcher then? Okay, whatever. I, that, that I cannot answer. <laughs> uh, but wait, wait. They it's, had a horse racing track in the thing? No, they had a part of where you could oh, probably bet. Okay, like, like they off probably, tra- like, really off track. Really off track. Yeah, you can. You, they call it in. There's bookies. I don't know. Off coast betting. <laughs> Seahorses. Um, the seahorse joke in there. <laughs> he was adamant that he was running a legitimate business. His games were not illegal nor rigged and offered anyone on the spot immediate payout of $100,000 cash if they could find a game that was rigged. I'm sure you collected it with like bro- the broken bones in your hand yeah. or whatever, but it, or they sent it to your widow, but yeah. <laughs> a, a nice thing to offer up. The Rex was a really a proto-Vegas. Like it was a clean, delightful experience if you behaved. And they offered you free or subsidized food and free transport to and from the ship. So it was a really legitimate business he was trying to run. I imagine there was a lot of vomiting people on Probably. This. 
Probably, yeah. But like, all cute. Like everyone's doing it. Oh, it's not gross if we all do it on each other. Like uh, Clark Gable just throwing up like the worst meal on the menu of Brown <laughs> Derby, and people like you're so hot. <laughs> this was not something he kept from people. He took out full page ads in the newspapers to the Rex. Huh. Got skywriting done to promote it, spelling out R E X above the city. But maybe Rex marks the spot. <laughs> that would have been a good market. Yeah, that yeah. would have been good marketing. But maybe they should have been more subtle because when even the little rinking dinking gambling ships get attacked by reformers and politicians trying to get a photo up when you're the most luxurious of all, them all you're gonna get icebergged <laughs> and the Rex got icebergged the first standoff on the Rex was in 1939 led by LADA Burren Fitz where I forgot how we brought him up recently along with LA County Sheriff uh, Sheriff Biscalis we, we brought up in the earthquake episode and the Santa Monica Police Chief Dice Cornero went back to sh- the Dice Man the Dice Man yeah appropriately named the Dice Man Cornero went back to sh- <laughs> with them under dickery duck get off my dock <laughs> i thought he was gonna rhyme dock with something else and very nice that he kept it g-rated so they go to arrest him cornero went back to shore with them under arrest with the intention of arguing his case out johnny law stated that because santa monica bay was inland an inland body of water that the coastline was not the true coastline thus moving the international waters closer to shore where the wrecks found itself because we come more inland than the regular coast and you think right. operating three miles off of this what's the tr- we're yeah. arguing what the true coastline was okay. so you're so not like, operating in international waters like you think you like are like pacific pal or not pacific palisades um palos verde yeah 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 palos is, verde goes this far out yeah so that's but then the if you're going coast. to like what you're, we're gonna go to like santa barbara yeah, yeah. They, 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 I, I, this sounds like a really I, annoying. What, does Avalon? Does uh, Catalina count as part of our coast? Are they legal? Or yeah, what, <laughs> they got a casino there. Are you knocking on their door? <laughs> and they do gamble there, <laughs> as everybody who goes there is not confused by. Johnny Crime argued that Santa Monica Bay was not a bay; it was a bite, B-I-G-H-T, which is a mm, large like coastal bite, like canto. Thank you. It's a large coastal indention. The court sided with D.A. Fitz, Johnny Law, but it was still overturned upon appeal and Cornero returned to the operations on the wrecks. So like, yeah, you proved that I was running slightly on a gray area of international waters, but nobody did anything. <laughs> then Cornero had to face off with a bigger foe in history, state attorney and L.A. born Earl Warren of the Warren Report, if you know oh, the Kennedy right, history, right. and was also the chief justice during the civil rights years, voting to desegregate schools and rejecting separate but equal laws. And was a fighter for rights of the individual and such. That's that Earl Warren. He hated gambling ships. He said that they drew millions of dollars away from legitimate civic purposes and were basically floating brothels and drug dens. Prove it. And he tries to come on board. Okay, you come too far. Don't go any further. He figured that states had the power to abate a nuisance even if it lies outside the state jurisdiction. Like if there's a problem, like a nuisance around our city, even if it's illegal. So they're basically like, if something bad is happening in Orange County, I'm still going to go deal with it. Because it is affecting people in our city. Okay. That's that's the the main. That seems like a slippery slope. That's a gray area. Yeah, that's that's not great. I like how we're on the side of the gamble. Most of the time. Thirsty. Camp. That's why I had to go out and say that Earl Warren is clearly not the bad guy in this situation. Remind myself, like, all right, all right, all right. All gambling ships were thus raided and disassembled based on the state ordered cease and desist from from this. Uh, there were four left, and Warren had his eye 
on the wrecks. This led to August 1st, 1939, the Battle of Santa Monica, which we brought up previously. I don't really know what happened, but I, I'm excited to hear it. Earl Warren sent out 250 local and state law enforcement officers out to sea to raid the ships off of Santa Monica and Long Beach. There was Tango and Showboat, which were anchored. <laughs> they were all horse names, by the way. Tango and Showboat were anchored off of Long Beach, and the Texas and the Rex were parked out past Santa Monica. The Rexes were uh, parked just outside of Santa Monica. The cops rented water taxis, uh, our old friend. That's illegal. Yeah, <laughs> and boarded and Raisley and easily got on board of three of those. Uh, they tossed the gambling tables off the ship and into the ocean. Uh, there is so much gambling out there, there. under the sea. <laughs> <laughs> it's just waiting for us. Get your scuba gear. We're going to go down there and we're going to drown trying to get an old <laughs> bingo gonna... <laughs> board. Um, I always knew our last words would be bingo. <laughs> <laughs> so the wrecks wouldn't be as easily boarded. First off, the officers were met with armed gunmen on the deck of the wrecks. They didn't shoot, but they were a threatening presence Mm -hmm. for sure. But what they did shoot were high-pressure fire hoses that would kept the officers on the little boats (laughs) at bay. If they did get close enough to try to board, they had a heavy steel gate to block the landing platform. So nothing could, you couldn't even like get to the point where you try to land. The crew of the wrecks- Fortress. A a, a living fortress, fortress, and it's just protecting like Blackjack. The crew of the wrecks- We need to play (laughs) Chuckalock. At all costs. At all costs, we have to protect Don't let them take Chuckalock. The crew of the Rex fought off Johnny Law for eight days this way. An eight-day standoff. And finally caved in when Anthony Cornero decided he needed to get a haircut. Pretty cool guy. Oh, God. Law enforcement raided the ship. Look at a little shaggy around the hat. (laughs) They raided the ship and tossed all the high-end decadence into the Pacific where Davy Jones could be heard losing to Pie Gal for all of history. (laughs) And while the gambling was legal in international waters, as in there were no laws, there was no laws saying you can't go aboard someone's ship and toss out what they have on theirs, Mm. making the cops in this situation marauding pirates. (laughs) The courts took Earl Warden's side and Cornero never faced any charges. That's how that played out. The Rex was then put to use during World War the one where the bad guys had great uniforms and eventually was sunk by a German submarine off the coast of Africa. That's what really? happened to the wrecks. Yeah. Huh. Another one at the bottom of the sea. Tony Canero under the sea. <laughs> uh, Tony Canero tried to make another, more gambling ships happen in the post-war 40s, but it never really amounted to anything. I, I'm just imagining there's like an old business car or like an old matchbook from the Brown Derby now sunk off the coast of Africa. Yeah. There's like cufflings from like a Jimmy Stewart, which is not his era. He, like I was saying, he's trying to make gambling ships happen in the post-war 40s but it never really amounted to anything. He lived in Beverly Hills after all this, 312 Elm Drive. He was married to an actress named Barbara Land, who is not too well known, but that's the, also the name of one of the characters from Mars Attacks, which I'm currently <laughs> obsessed with. So when I typed Barbara Land in and the picture of Mars Attack came up, like, am I, am I doing this wrong? What happened? In February of 1955, Derek's, some sort of crime meeting was happening at his place. A messenger came over and pulled a gun and shot Canero. He survived, but that August of 1955, he died at a dice table in Las Vegas, dropped dead from a coronary thrombosis at the Desert Inn. He was in Nevada waiting... Coronary thrombosis. Wow. We should have seen this coming. He was in Nevada at the time awaiting the opening of his new resort, the Stardust. And that is everything I have about Anthony Cornero and the gambling ships off the coast memorialized in Farewell My Lovely which is a great novel by Raymond Chandler maybe my favorite well you love gambling and uh, you have a problem I, I, I bet you that I don't love gambling <laughs> I'll bet you right now that I don't double love or nothing <laughs> well we're, we're uh, about halfway through maybe a little more of the episode so we're going to take a break now you can go uh, I mean if this if you have a gambling addiction this episode is boy is it not good for you so uh, we'll see you at Hollywood Park uh, <laughs> I right. bet you I bet you that it's good for you I'm <laughs> I'm going to bet you right now that's good for you. Bye. Fold.
Well, Greg, it's the middle of the episode. Are you hungry? I'm starving. No. I've been having to cut out all of the sound of your stomach rumbling throughout this whole episode. Leave it. <laughs> if you or anybody is in the middle of doing anything and you want a good snack to stop that tummy rumbling that has to be edited out, you got to try People's Choice Beef jerky. To tell you a little bit about them, they are LA's original beef jerky since 1929, Greg. They've been in downtown since 1929. And I was talking to the person about this and then I was reading about the company and I realized, wait a minute, they have the same last name. And she said that her great-grandfather is the one who started it in 1929. So her and her brother are fourth generation running this beef jerky place. That is incredible. That's really great. Yeah, this is a local legacy company that you can help support. Don't don't go to those other guys. Let's just say his name his name is Jim. I won't say anything about his physique. His figure. But yeah. let's not snap into him. You want to go to something better and local, and that's People's Choice Beef Jerky. They bring the old school to the new school. Their jerky is handcrafted in a family tradition that spans four generations, like I said, and 90 plus years in the heart of downtown Los Angeles. A tradition built on quality ingredients and a handmade process that delivers a better quality, better tasting, better for you jerky. This is not gas station junk food. Again, that Jim, ooh, I'm not going to point out how much he weighs, how much he might have lost in the last few years, but I will snap him if I ever see him, but not in the way he wants. This is not a trendy snack concocted for product benefits instead of flavor. This is real food made by real people. Small batch artisan quality beef jerky delivered directly to your door. They offer an assortment of unique beef jerky styles, flavors, and textures. They handcraft everything in-house to maintain a high-quality product, and they've been a family company since 1929 and four generations later. Real handcraft crafted beef jerky, no junk, no fillers, just 90 years of family tradition and dedication to jerky done right. If you want to try this out, we've got a special promo code for you. You can get 15% off with discount code LAMeekly15. If you go to their website, peopleschoicebeefjerky.com, I use that promo code LAMeekly15 for some People's Choice Beef Jerky, artisanal, legacy, old school, Los Angeles beef jerky. Shop local, eat jerky. Coupon code LA Meekly 15 for some People's Choice Beef Jerky. People's Choice Beef Jerky, Greg. Eat it. <laughs> Mr. Dookie Flyswatter and the Haunted Mirage! If you took 80s slasher movies and put it in a blender with metal and punk rock, you're going to get Haunted Garage. Dookie and his crew were almost like making horror movies. Horror punk. But the gag is, you're in the splash zone. There was this real fervor at the time about shock rock and how bad it was for the kids. I look over and I see Dookie with his arms on fire. The flashes from the rear end. He got brain surgery live on stage. That was the raw stuff. You walk out of there feeling like you've maybe left the planet for a little while. Their legacy is they were unique. They did things that weren't being done, and they did things that were outside of people's comfort zones. Dookie was always just ahead of his time on that. But it really rocked hard. I mean, he had really good musicians in the band. We didn't want it to be only this deep. We wanted to be this deep. It's Haunted Garage. That's the whole point of taking things too far. He's an icon of the underground exploitational genre. Punk rock god of Hollywood. G.G. Allen, but fun. He's like a friendly vampire. He was L.A.'s Peter Lorre. <laughs> you need somebody in a movie, that's the guy that you want. He puts everything he's got into it. He made his whole life 
is art. I think that the whole world should know about it. The life and slimes of Tukey Flyswatter and Haunted Garage. Indiegogo campaign out now. DukeyDoc.com. D-U-K-E-Y-D-O-C.com. And we're back from our break. The last thing you heard is a little trailer ad for the Dookie Flyswatter dock, which is the life and slimes of Dookie mm-hmm. Flyswatter and Haunted Garage. So you can help get that made at DookieDock.com if you want to give to that to help that going. Because, yeah, that was something that the carrot from yes. Radioactive Chicken Heads was like, hey, can you help? They're trying to get this thing who I had never heard of this guy, but he yeah. sounds very interesting. Yeah. Dookie Flyswatter, like a punk horror L.A. kind of all of the words guy. that I like. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully this this project goes forward and I want to see more of it. Well, here's what you're going to see more of right now. Yeah. We're back on shore now. Yes. We've talked about all these, let's just say, losers that gamble <laughs> they're too scared to gamble on land on la- land lovers well now they and then we've got the land lovers let's get to something that you don't have to take a boat to get to for everyone who yearns for the glitz and glamour of reno but can't afford gas money look no further than our very own gardena Ooh. here in los angeles county a beautiful area <laughs> Oh, the potholes on the streets of Gardena. Oh, you could just you could put a baby in them. They're so beautiful. So back on the land, I uh, I don't I don't remember where yours left off exactly, but we're gonna jump back to 1937. Okay. As a reminder, gambling and casinos are illegal in California, but card rooms where you bet not against the house but against other players and you pay to rent a chair in the room are a okay. Yeah. And these card rooms, this is where you play Magic. The, the these ones that you the card rooms like how I would go to Toys R Us on a Sunday morning to play Pokemon cards and one time. <laughs> Paul Basta walked in and saw me and made fun of me at school the next day. You deserved it. I'm on Paul Basta's side. How many badges does he have? Paul Basta, <laughs> I saw Paul Basta eating dog food out of a trash can. So look at your siding with. I have an emerald badge, yeah. Greg. I, I eat regular food out of the trash can, not like Paul Basta, who eats dog food I, out of the trash can. <laughs> I eat dog food off of fine china, Greg. So. And not that trashy dog food. I mean, good stuff, okay? I'm eating Alpo, Greg. He's like the worst. Uh, so game, I, I could, Blue Buffalo. Uh, games of skill, like I don't know what I eat for dinner every night. So games of skill, like draw poker, are allowed, but games of luck like slot machines are not. Again, just to reiterate the difference, card rooms are illegal in LA City, but there are still plenty that are legal or at the very least tolerated in many of the surrounding cities back then. This right, right, yes. So there were dozens of card rooms in places like Hawthorne, Compton, and Monterey Park. Mm-hmm. Long Beach alone had 40 of these card wow, rooms. Wow, really? Whether these places were licensed or unlicensed varied, but they were there and they were allowed to operate. Okay. But then in 1937, if you were a gambler, the dark thing happened to you since everything else that probably happened to you in the 30s that made you a compulsive gambler. The state attorney general of California deemed games of chance to be illegal. Oh, I'm a game of chance. <laughs> this whole life but is a life game But life is chance. a game. <laughs> so what? Is life no longer legal? No, just craps. <laughs> is craps not life? Hard eight. This basically was targeted directly at the card rooms that were technically legal in California that were playing draw poker. And while this went against a stipulation that is in the Constitution Constitution of California that draw poker is legal, it freaked out all the card rooms operating in those places I just mentioned. So they either closed down completely or they fled out of state. Okay. Yet another weird legal nether region. Like it, same with yours, is it international waters? Right. Like it, it just was not entirely clear. But one one guy named Ernie Prim, who uh was running a card room in another little neighboring city of LA called Gardena. Ah. Uh, 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 
<laughs> the sound that goes through your head whenever you hear those two syllables, <laughs> no, three. Oh. I ain't counting. Prim was a Texan who had come to California in the early 30s. And in 1936, he had opened up a card room in Gardena called the Embassy Palace. But when that new ruling came out in 1937, Prim decided, I came all the way from Texas to open this dump. And if I have to slink back there with my tail between my legs, they'll put a cowboy hat on me so big, it'll drag me six feet under in shame. So he kept his card room open. And of course, on June 2nd, 1937, he was raided and shut down. Okay. However, he took the case to court, arguing that it was drawn draw poker and that the state constitution explicitly allowed draw poker. So he won the case and Uh he was able to reopen his card room. So what this did was it set the precedent in court that card rooms were legal and Gardena decided this is our thing. Yeah. We're just going to run with this. Yeah. (laughs) We have no natural resources except money. There are no restaurants in Gardena, only card rooms. There are no stores that sell televisions because it's the 30s, but also because it's a card room. This is one of those things where you make a joke, Greg. Oh, Jesus. We'll get to that. Uh, we'll get to how unfunny what you just said was. <laughs> You usually do. Just like our post-show meetings, I will tell you why everything you said was not funny. <laughs> they saw that all the card rooms in the surrounding cities closed or moved away after the 1937 thing. So by fully embracing them, Gardena could make a name for themselves and more importantly, make some money for money. themselves. Gardena set up strict rules for the card rooms. There was no drinking. Maximum bets could only be one or two dollars. Husbands and wives weren't allowed to play together so that they couldn't like oh, have right. a scheme of, of like, when I tug on my wedding yeah. ring, that, yeah. that's well, how you know. When I scream at you for folding my uh, the bed sheets wrong, that's how I let you know that I have two aces in the pocket. <laughs> when I point out to you that there's lipstick on your collar that's not my color, that's how you know that I'm just having fun here. When I say that I never meant I do and I regret <laughs> ever meeting you, that means all in, baby. Just like I did on X. So it was 50 cents an hour to sit at one of the tables and the city of Gardena profited off all of this with a $50 tax per table of okay. these rooms. So for a few years, Prim's Embassy Palace was the only big room in town, but in 1940, the Western Club opened, which in 1947 was bought by a former bouncer who worked for Prim named Russ Miller, who renamed it the Normandy Club and later the famous Normandy Casino, Oh wow, okay, which was We'll get into what that became, but that, yeah. this place was legendary in Gardena, which is a weird sentence to say. I'm a legend of Gardena. <laughs> Post-World War, the one where gamblers were turned into bullets, Gardena was the only city in LA County that offered licensed poker. So by 1951, Gardena had five card rooms that were capped at 36 tables per place, most of which were along Vermont Avenue. Okay. By the 60s, there were six card rooms operating in Gardena. There was the Embassy, the Rainbow, and the Monterey, all three of which were owned by Prim. And mm-hmm. then there was the Normandy, the Gardena, and the Horseshoe. It was so bustling with poker and not quite gambling that Prim got Gardena to declare itself the poker capital of California. Nice. But how did Prim get the political clout to convince the city of Gardena to do that, you might ask? Mm-hmm. Would you ask me that? Greg, how did he get the that? political clout enough to get the people of Gardena to... Greg. Thank you for asking me You're that. Welcome. And I will tell you afterwards why you were right to ask me <laughs> that. First, you get the money. Right. Then you get the power. Then you get the baby in the baby carriage or whatever that (laughs) saying goes. By 1952, over a third of Gardena's revenue was coming from the card rooms. And who was in control of most of the card rooms? Ernie Prim. So again, it was the same thing of like, you can follow the money. Yeah, That's what the guy in the parking lot told me. (laughs) He had some sort of throat condition, but follow the money. And as they say in Gardena, never go against the hand that feeds you stonad. (laughs) With all this money coming in, thanks to them, Prim and the other card room owners basically ran Gardena. Like it's 
just the smaller scale of what was going on in Los Angeles okay. City. It's, so he's paying them off anybody who would question. He's more than here. I'll tell you what he's paying. They controlled the decision making of the city council because in a way they were the ones paying their salary. So it was in their best interest of the city council to one, keep that gravy train flowing and yeah. two, keep these guys happy because they could three, have them replaced or four, something even worse, which we'll get into in a little bit. Okay. So they maintain this power in many ways, none of them respectable. They discouraged development inside of Gardena because they were afraid that any new businesses other than card rooms would get to a point where they were so successful that they could take the power over the city council away from the gambling guys. Right. So gambling stayed the only industry in Gardena. Jeez. Like they convinced the city council, like, no, you can't build a mall here. Yeah. What if the guy who owns JC Penny becomes really <laughs> Okay, you're going to open a gimbals here. What kind of car? Do you, so where are you going to put the poker tables? <laughs> what if this radio shack becomes really powerful? <laughs> here's where your joke, here's where I deflate your jokes. They kept high quality restaurants outside of Gardena because they wanted people coming into their card rooms, restaurants, which sold food that was pretty good for cheap because it brought in new gamblers. Oh, that geez. was a way to get people okay. like, oh, this hamburger is pretty good. Is that draw poker? Yeah. <laughs> uh, can I lose the money in that room over there? <laughs> they kept the population of Gardena low so that the number of voters was kept at a level that they could control to make sure that the people Jeez. they wanted to be elected got the job. Okay. So there's population. They weren't like, you know, it wasn't like eugenics, but they were, they were, they were like making sure like only this many people can live in Gardena because right. otherwise I can't control all of them. Every fifth child has to move to another city. Yeah. There was a strict two child policy <laughs> in Gardena. Gardena. In the 30s. Their influence even stretched outside Gardena city limits by making sure none of the surrounding cities started opening up card rooms of their own that would draw away business from their card rooms. Right. So these were all your classic political manipulations they used to maintain control, but then they also had more manipulative ways as well. They would do things that seemed nice and like they cared for the community, but there was always more to it. They would pay for local kids to go to Disneyland. They helped. This was even before Disneyland existed. <laughs> it was just Walt Disney's house. You want to go to his house? <laughs> then most people. We're going to a cornfield in Anaheim, <laughs> the happiest place on earth. Can I ride the corn? <laughs> they helped found the local YMCA. They gave to local charities and the local Japanese Cultural Institute. They gave food to families in need during Christmas. They worked with families whose members were had gambling addictions to yeah. get those family members banned from the Jesus. clubs. All nice stuff yeah. that was done to curry favor with the community so that they would have a positive view of them in their eyes when elections came up regarding the card rooms or regarding people who the people in the card rooms told them to vote for. Okay. So this was all like, oh, no, I don't want the card rooms to become illegal. They bought me a turkey right. last December. Yeah. They sent my kids to the cornfield, <laughs> which, which means a different thing in the 50s. They got local social clubs to be title holders in the card room Jesus. so that they felt invested to protect them from political opposition of their own volition. They're really like locking themselves in, they, in it, every single corner they can find. Yeah, it's their, their roots. Greg, yeah, the roots. the roots. They even got bankers, a lot of bankers invested in the profits of the room so that the banks would do whatever they could to help them stay open oh, and wow. keep making them personally Jeez, money. The foundation on this thing is pretty strong. Every single, like it could not fail. Too yeah. big to fail. Prim and the other owners tried to protect the image of Gardena that while there was kind of gambling going on here, it was still a clean and safe place to right. come to. There's no Tommy guns, let's say. They, yeah, no, uh, all of the murders happen when you're Baxter. <laughs> it was not that sort of place yeah. that they wanted to look like. It brought a ton of money to the town, yes, but it was a deal with the devil because it brought 
all the corruption I just mentioned, but also just good old fashioned mobster violence yeah, came yeah, to Gardena. Yeah. Prim himself wasn't necessarily a gangster, but he had a lot of ties and a lot of mob like things happened in and around his card rooms. Mm-hmm. Tony Cornero, he had a room in Gardena at a certain point, apparently. Yeah. The Horseshoe Club was originally owned by the Verkrans Corporation, which was a confirmed mob owned entity. There was a lot of cheating happening in these rooms that the staff would accept money to look the other way on. There were armed robberies of the high stakes games. Some winners would walk outside and get immediately mugged. A few people got murdered. <laughs> this is like you're just, you could easily be describing the 1880s, like the old West. And this is Gardena in like 1952. <laughs> Red Dead Redemption Gardena. <laughs> the bars surrounding the card rooms were run by a guy named Shushine Nick. Mm-hmm. And when you'd go in there after losing it all, there was always somebody in there willing to give you a loan to okay. get right back Jesus. into the card rooms. There were gamblers around with names like Pete the Thief, <laughs> Dirty Mouth Paula, Ronnie the Mooch, Loudmouth George, Benny the Bandit, Cliff the Lover, and the Yule Brenner of Vermont Avenue. <laughs> he was just bald, I bet. I bet you he was just bald. He didn't even go to the card rooms. It was just a bald man that walked through town one day. He's a legend. <laughs> I'm trying to get to Bell. <laughs> You're crazy. The stuff you say is crazy. <laughs> but it was like Yule Brenner from, um, from uh, Westworld. Westworld, and he's just in a black. <laughs> he won't stop walking. So it was pretty sleazy all around, which is why there was so much opposition to them. The first movement to get them closed was in 1946, fueled by all the organized crime that was going on and the power the owners had over the city. That one failed, Mm -hmm. but people just kept trying and trying and trying. And it seemed both sides were capable of violence because at 1.30 a.m. on December 11th, 1950, Sam Rummel, who was the lawyer representing the card rooms and all these lawsuits, was shot in the neck with a double-barreled shotgun in front of his house at 2600 Laurel Canyon. If you get shot in the neck with a shotgun... You don't have a neck. You don't have... They shot your neck off. That's the there kind was of an thing. entry wound uh, around the entire neck. <laughs> His neck was an entry wound. This could have been a coincidence, though, because he was also the lawyer of Tony Cornero. Oh, geez. And he worked with Mickey Cohen, so it might have been related to a different aspect of what his do you, work. What are you shooting me about? <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that makes uh, a lot of sense. Uh, in 1954, the Civic Improvement Committee formed out of 13 local churches to try to get the card rooms banned. They failed. No, the but, church groups <laughs> failed? No. But things really boiled over in the late 50s when Prim proposed the idea of building a seventh card room in Gardena, which led to another ballot measure to ban card rooms and made somebody so angry that at 11.30 p.m. on March 22, 1960, some anonymous anti-gambling radical detonated a bomb inside the Rainbow Club. You are kidding. It blew out eight windows and then two at the Monterey Club next door. It blew apart the bus stop and a car out front. It blew a hole in the Who side of the building. Who gambling that much? And it ruptured the security guard's eardrums. Oh my God. I mean, there's crazy gangsters. There's also crazy moral people who right. are like, no, nobody will ever yeah. do. Put that money towards the church uh, donation basket. Even after all this, the vote to ban card rooms still failed on that one. This whole ordeal led to a vote in 1962 for Prop E as to whether or not to completely outlaw all forms of poker from LA County that Prim spent thousands of dollars to defeat and he did once again. It lost by almost double the vote. Jeez. So Prim and the other goons kept every single attempt to ban card rooms at bay for over another decade, but they didn't anticipate card rooms becoming more legal. They weren't prepared for oh. that. In 1978, Prop 
13 was passed, which lowered taxes on real estate and that loss of income threw a lot of cities in California into debt. What that meant to several cities in LA County surrounding Gardena was that they saw how much money those card rooms were bringing in in Gardena and they could see no other way of making up for their new loss of income than legalizing card rooms themselves within right. their own city limits and cashing in just like Gardena had done. What year is this? Sorry. 1978. This okay. is like Late. this crazy stuff that we've been talking about since the eight, late 1800s was still going on in the 40 19- years ago. Yeah. <laughs> in 1980, the 40 year reign Gardena monopoly over gambling in LA County ended when the California Bell card room opened in the Jeez. second city in LA to permit legal poker bell. It had 60 tables, which was much bigger than the ones in Gardena, and soon came rooms in Commerce, Huntington Park, and Bell Gardens that were bigger and newer and counterintuitive to the cities I just mentioned, much nicer. Bicycle Casino seems pretty nice. Yeah. I'm sure it's not, but that's yeah, one of but them. it looks nice from the outside. <laughs> Everything else is just small it, around it. So There's lights cool. on the outside of it. That's pretty nice. Mm, look at that. They had better security, which was important, yeah. and they had higher stakes games, and most importantly, they served alcohol. So very quickly, the Gardena Cardroom Empire, which was was entirely older and smaller card rooms came tumbling down. Yeah. Also in the 80s and 90s, the demographic of this whole part of town became much more Asian and mm-hmm. these newer rooms accommodated that in terms of style and food they right. offered and also the games they had when Gao started to take over from poker. Gao poker was actually invented at the Bell Card Room in 1984. Was it really? Then in 1986, California legalized Texas Hold'em and Seven Card Stud, which is so weird that this happened in the 80s yeah. that like these old cowboy rules are finally getting overturned. <laughs> That's how long it took to get to it, a hundred years. <laughs> so that brought even more people into town to play cards and they didn't want to go to the 40-year-old smelly rooms in Gardena. They wanted to go to these new places yeah. in Bell. <laughs> so in 1980, the Monterey Club closed. The Rainbow Club closed in 1983. The New Gardena closed in Jeez. 1984. The Horseshoe in 1989 and then the El Dorado later in 1996. Wow. And since Prim and the gang had arranged it so that card rooms were the only industry in Gardena, it was like when you only plant one type of corn and then there's like a corn virus and you have no corn because there's no diversification. Same thing in Gardena. When the card rooms left, all the other businesses failed Jeez. because they were depended on the card rooms yeah. and there wasn't like restaurants. There's not department stores. There was nothing. Yeah. So Gardena fell on some really hard times and had kind of nothing to offer in terms yeah. of making money at all. Not that Prim cared though. He was mostly out of the Gardena game and had been focusing his energy on a new casino he built called Whiskey Pete's in Nevada along the One California Botto. favorite. The Botto, California border in a town that is now now called Prim. That's the casino that has the Bonnie and Clyde car on display. It is. Yeah. <laughs> is it Whiskey? Yeah, Whiskey Pete's. Whiskey Pete's. What's the one across the street that also looks like it should be called Whiskey Pete's? Um, Vodka John's. Buffalo Bills. I think uh, Buffalo Bills has the Bonnie and Clyde car and No, Whiskey Pete's has the Bonnie and Clyde car. You You want to shoot me over it? (laughs) Draw. I'll see you in the middle of the street at noon. Bring your PS4 controller. We're going to play Red Dead Redemption until one of us loses. So after the El Dorado closed in 1996 in Gardena, the Normandy was the only card room left in Gardena and things were no longer prim, but grim. So grim that the guy they came to see as their savior was Larry Flint. Oh, This is the man they all looked to. In 1998, he bought the land that the El Dorado had been on and on top of it on August 22nd, 2000, Larry Flint brought new life into Gardena like a certain pill a lot of his fans take <laughs> by opening up the Hustler Casino. If you find yourself at a Hustler Casino for more than four hours, you might want to call a doctor. That's all I got. <laughs> See if he'll let you borrow any money. Call a doctor because they're rich. 
then in 2016, when the Normandy Casino, which had moved to its current location at Rosecrans in Vermont in 1980, had its owners admit to money laundering, it had to be sold within 120 days. And Larry Flint swooped in on that and turned that into what we now know it as the Lucky Lady. Okay. That was the famous Normandy Casino. Cool. Okay. So nowadays, the only remnants of Gardena's long, and I'm not going to use the word proud legacy, are the Hustler Casino and the Lucky Lady, which are the only two card rooms left in Gardena. Countywide, you've also got the Bicycle Casino mm-hmm. in Bell Gardens, which was taken by the feds in 1990 for having been built with laundered drug money. Cool. The Commerce Casino, yes. Crystal Park Casino in Compton, Hollywood Park Casino yes. in Inglewood, which used to be part of where I won my horses. <laughs> um, and the biggest one in all of LA County, where you pretended to be an erupting volcano right. in our video, which you should all watch on YouTube, yes. the Gardens Casino in Hawaiian Gardens, which brings in 70% of Hawaiian Gardens money. Really? They make 70% they of They wouldn't let me spend my money there because I wanted to go pee and they're like, do you have any ID? And I only had my passport at the time. So I showed it to them. They're like, this is expired. I'm like, no, that's when I got it. And he, w- he wouldn't listen to me. That's so he saw you as the You're shark a reporter. That you yeah. <laughs> so next time you go to that part of town to lose it all on Pi Gow, just remember that the money you lose might be going towards a good cause or maybe not. <laughs> so that's the gambling history of Los Angeles. Some aspects of it. Yes. What else is there? <laughs> That's literally the entire gambling history of Los Angeles. I bet you that's not. I want to bet you right now that it's not. I bet you a, a cluck burger or cluck sandwich from Jack in the Box right now that it's not. Stop um, begging that thing. You're making sounds. People, it, it adds texture to the ear. I'm, I'm going to bet you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, oh baby. I'm going to bet you a cluck burger. I'm a regular cannibal Adderley. So before we wrap up this episode, we have a listener question. Yes, we do. This one is from Suzanne True Love. What a great I name love that saying is. her name. Are you in a punk band from the 70s? I need <laughs> So here's a question. If you were able to be born anywhere in the world, where would you pick? You go first. Well, this one, this one at first was easy for me, but then I thought I've, cause I've always had this fantasy, although I hate to admit to this, um, of, Dressing like Shirley Temple. <laughs> Went out to little parties, pretending to be a little girl. Uh, and no one questions me because I look so darn cute. <laughs> I've always had this idea of like, wouldn't it be nice to grow up in like the countryside of the South? Yep. Like crickets and lightning bugs, or they might call them genie flies or whatever yeah, they call yeah, yeah. them. The, but, the, the, when you get on Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah. uh, before you go down the first Which I was slide. actually thinking about that. That's so weird that you bring that up. I was thinking about that today because the first part of that ride is so menacing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you go down this scary thing and then it's the most jovial thing. It's yo-ho, yo-ho for yeah. like 15 minutes. So yeah. it's like, it, it's so pro-pirate. Like it's it's, it's anti-Bayou pro-pirate. It's anti- yeah, you're absolutely right. They don't want you to to live a nice life on the Bayou. They yeah. want you to be a pirate. It's so much nicer. No. <laughs> but anyway. Look, everyone, I, they're all chasing each other around. They're having a good time. <laughs> None of them teeth. It's fine. Okay, so there's the Southern like countryside, which yeah. I thought would be nice, but then I'm like, no, it's scary. They, the racist would kill me. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. KKK would take me my, the baby my, away yeah. <laughs> my own baby away which but is then there's but then there's the obvious one for me which i've always i would have loved to have been born in brooklyn yep. and raised there but because my grandpa owned an egg store and me and melissa came up with this scenario that and if my parents had never left brooklyn and my dad like took over that egg store and grew it into like a bigger thing mm-hmm. and somehow i become orthodox in all of this so i'm like wearing <laughs> the payas and all this and i'm like the one yelling at like an uh, the owner of a chinese restaurant as i'm having guys like deliver eggs <laughs> I feel like that's what my life would have been like if my parents never left Brooklyn. That, so that's that an might, image. Yeah. That's an image for sure that you're painting. A fine portrait of a Daniel Lost, a sliding door <laughs> <Yeah>. scenario. 
that my dad had never crashed through that sliding door. This is the multiverse of me. In every other iteration of me and every other universe, yeah. I'm orthodox. <laughs> so that's where I'd say either the South, if not for the racist stuff, yeah. and Brooklyn, if not for me becoming orthodox. Yeah, I want to live in the 70s Disney, like the live adaptation Disney movies of the South, for sure, <laughs> like the Pollyanna South. My brother and I, because, you know, my, my family settled in the Venice area when they first came to California, and then eventually we moved to Echo Park. That's how the West Side Gonzalez That's how the West Side Gonzalez is are a thing, yeah. <laughs> Me and my brother will always talk about, like, if we grew up in Venice, we would have been just <laughs> after just after Dogtown and the Z-Boys were a thing. Uh, we would have been surfers, for sure. Like, they grew up, like, maybe a block or two away from the beach. We would have been, like, like the surfing family. So you're, in your question, if you can pick anywhere no. in the world, you're picking 10 miles west of where you Have you been up. to Venice? <laughs> I, I don't, like, I, I'm I'm proud of being, uh, you know, Angelino, born and raised. I lived briefly in Northern California, and I really like it. Like, I like just driving. Which part? I lived. Humboldt, Zizix. Zizix. Uh, <laughs> oh, Humboldt County. Oh, to be murdered on a mountain over marijuana in the mountains and go missing. Like, the more foresty, you know, we stayed in Jamestown, which is just like an hour away from Yosemite, and that, not necessarily that area but like just driving around feels really nice but also like san francisco is a place that every time i go to i'm like i could have lived i could have been a san francisco <laughs> i could have been the san francisco I been surfing in san francisco <laughs> but like yeah i i'd like like not necessarily so central want- california but like northern california or san francisco those areas whenever i'm there i'm like oh this is this is me so we both have sort of a country fantasy and then a city fantasy yeah, where the- both of us become orthodox <laughs> They would never accept me. <laughs> you would have been Orthodox in San Francisco. I would have been Orthodox in Brooklyn. And somehow we meet in St. Louis yeah. and we fall in love. <laughs> and this is the world all of you missed out on. I told Joanna that we, uh, Joanna Linkhorst of Rock Haven, that you lived in France for a couple of years. She didn't know that. and, and One uh, year. One year. One, don't I, give me too much credit. I, said, I don't know why. I, th- I thought you lived it for felt four like years. years. <laughs> it did feel, yeah. what, and what a year. <laughs> but I was saying that, you know, we would write postcards to you, or you would write postcards to me, but we'd email like almost every day. And I, I was telling her, like, I read those postcards now. I'm like, this is a couple in love. <laughs> this is what people who, who are in love with each other write to each other. Dearest Greg, the pain, the pain inside me. Do you feel it? We're, the yearning. We're like Grendelwald and Dumbledore, aren't we? <laughs> I don't know what that means, and I refuse to accept it. We that. made a blood pact never to kill each other. Is that not about Fantastic Beasts anymore? No, well, the Fantastic Beasts are two gay men. <laughs> so that's been our uh, that's been our May episode. So hopefully that we have either turned you off to gambling or got you a little <laughs> bit excited about I know, gambling. I'm worried. I, I didn't even think about that when we started doing this, but yeah. like it might be one of those like ice cream or food episodes we do where afterward the people listening to yeah. are like, I had I, to go get Thrifty's ice cream. Yeah. I had to go pawn my wedding ring yeah, so that I, I could go to Hollywood. Park they wouldn't let me walk into Hawaiian Gardens unless I came with cash. So I unless did. I updated my passport. <laughs> so yeah, no, thank you so much for thank listening. you so much, so for, much for, for episode listening. 101 for sticking with us for the second hundo. Yeah. Oh my god. So we'll see you in June for the throes of summer. Well, we'll see you for oh, we have our music episode coming That's out, right. and we have a special thing after that with this very special someone that very you're going to want to listen to. So stay subscribed. That's right. So uh, we'll see you in soon and. And that's been yet another episode 101, LA Meekly 101, of LA Meekly. Drowning trying to pull a pie gow table up since 2013, LA Meekly. 101. Oh, and that's been LA Meekly 101. <laughs> Whoa. Oh my God, you scared I me. I pulled a gun. I've been shot. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't joking. <laughs> I said I bet, didn't I? <laughs>